Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Isaiah 18, 1 through 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at the wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God delights in new beginnings. The young man you see on the screen before you, Paul Peterson. Paul, as a older teen, was hell on wheels. A rebel that was causing everybody lots of problems, especially his parents. His mom and dad pastored a small church and he had to work in order to make a living and, and Paul was a serious problem. They enrolled him in a Christian school hoping that somehow that would transform him and he got kicked out. They finally found another school, they enrolled him in that school hoping that would transform him and he got kicked out. And then he came to the school where I was president. We have a high school much like you do here. And he was enrolled in our high school. I believe he lasted six weeks and he got kicked out. He finally bounced back home. He laid around the house. His father and mother were both working, trying to make ends meet. And Paul was just running up bills here and there in all kinds of strange ways. Finally, one Friday night, he said, my dad came to my bedroom where I was smothering out the world by listening to my music. He knocked on my door, came in, and he said, typically when that happens, that meant trouble. I was in serious trouble. But he said, here's what my dad said. He said, uh, Paul, he said, what do you say we do breakfast at Perkins in the morning? Paul said, sure, I'd love to. He said, early the next morning, my dad and I were up off to Perkins. We got a booth. We had our favorite foods. And he said, for the first time, he said, my dad just began to open up and talk about his teen years. He talked about how he loved cars and how he loved to soup them up. And he, we talked about hunting and fishing. We just talked about football. He said, we had a blast. And he said, we talked and the waitress kept coming by and, and refilling. He said, an hour, two hours. He said, finally into the third hour, <clears throat> he said, my dad got quiet, reached inside his pocket, pulled out a stack of envelopes about that thick, laid them on the table, fanned them out like a deck of cards. And he said, Paul, you know what this is? He said, I, I had no idea. He said, Paul, this is all the bills you've incurred in your rebellion, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. He said, son, how are you going to pay him? And he said, I couldn't say anything. I just, I just dropped my head. And he, he said, we sat there in silence. And he said, when all of a sudden, my dad said, well, son, your mom and I know what we're going to do. 
He said, my dad reached out, pulled those bills together, picked them up. He said, your mom and I are gonna work extra and we're gonna pay all of these for you. He put them in his pocket. And then out of his shirt pocket, he said, my dad took a crisp $100 bill, something I never saw my dad with, slid it across the table. And he said, son, you need a new beginning. Paul related this later in our chapel after he'd been thoroughly converted, came back to our college, graduated at the top of his class, valedictorian, top the Greek scholar in the whole ministerial department, went on to pastor, very successfully pastor church. He was so good at pastoring his denomination wanted him to make the leader. He turned it down. Today, Paul's a chaplain in the army. Fantastic family, great career, loves God, but he had a new beginning. Do you know that God delights in new beginnings? I'm talking to a group of students this morning that this is sort of the first spiritual life week on campus. I know you've had a retreat. I know you've had some chapel services, but we're still in the beginning of this school year. And some of you desperately need a new beginning. Why do we need these sort of things? You say, brother, I've been a Christian since I was five years old. Well, if spiritual life is a relationship with Jesus, it's like all relationships. It needs a time of refreshing. Sometimes relationships go south. Sometimes relationships don't go well. There's drifting, there's moving away, there's this loss of fellowship. And something needs to get your attention to bring that back to the forefront like it ought to be. You need a new beginning. As a matter of fact, the Bible's filled with new beginnings. As a matter of fact, it's, there's almost a pattern for how it works in Scripture, not only with nations or churches, but individuals. I want to share that with you this morning. There's basically four things that happen in a new beginning. The first thing is God's Spirit draws near. The second thing is God word, God's Word comes home. The third is God's holiness comes through. And the last thing that happens, God's people come alive. I want to talk about God's spirit draws near. One thing that I lear I've learned in ministry is God is always previous. God's always after you before you're after him. He's always taking the initiative. Right now, some of you that are looking about have no interest. You're here for girls or football or whatever. God's already on your trail. He's already seeking you. As a matter of fact, the scripture uses some amazing words to describe that. It says God awakes, God arises, God visits, God draws near, God seeks, God speaks. One of the interesting stories in the Old Testament of Jacob, who was, the, who was a rascal. He, 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 was, he was the heel grasper, the deceiver, the betrayer. That used car salesman down on a lot in the shady part of town who was always trying to rip somebody off, Jacob. And we talk about Jacob wrestling with God, but the truth of the matter is Jacob didn't initiate, initiate that wrestling match. God did. God stepped inside that tent and had a wrestling match with Jacob that changed his life. David, the greatest king of Israel, the watermark for all other kings that came, got into some serious trouble with a woman, with her husband, 
and with God. David didn't initiate that repentance. It was a prophet named Nathan that came and took his index finger and pointed it in the face of the king and said, you're the man. You're the guy that's in trouble. God is always previous. God is always initiating something. One of the most favorite parts of American history for me, my, my background is in the Methodist tradition, and so I have a great love for the stories of some of those early Methodist circuit riders. This is a true story. You can check it out. <clears throat> Francis Asbury was holding a conference, a Christmas conference in Baltimore, Maryland. And as those preachers were sitting in front of him, Asbury said, they've opened up the western part of Virginia, and it's safe to go into that part of the country. I need a circuit rider that'll take the gospel to the western part of Virginia. It wasn't West Virginia at the time, just the western part of Virginia. A man volunteered to go. And the way those circuit riders would do it, they'd get on their horses and they would ride sometimes for days looking for wagon tracks, looking for new developments. This guy had ridden through the Appalachian Mountains for days and he found wagon tracks making their way back into the forest. He followed those wagon tracks until he came on a cabin. And he found there in this newly constructed cabin a man, his wife, and their one daughter. He knocked on the door, the man opened, a big man opened the door, and he said to him, he said, Sir, I'm a Methodist preacher. But the preacher didn't know this guy had no time for God, no time for religion, no time for any of that kind of stuff. But what he also did not know is that God had been visiting in that cabin and speaking to that man's wife. But the man was at least a gentleman and he invited the preacher in. They had a meal together. And after the meal, the preacher, without even asking, just opened up his hymn book. All good preachers had a hymn book and a Bible. He opened up his hymn book and he began to sing a very common hymn. And then he turned in the Bible and preached a simple gospel message. And there in front of that fireplace, the wife and mother of that home knelt and found God. The preacher left early the next morning and the man turned to his wife and he said, now that they found us, now that they know where we are, they've gotten you, now you've got religion. He said, start packing. I heard that the mountains of North Georgia had been opened up, the Indians have been driven out and settlers are beginning to come there. So they began the weeks of packing and loading up and they made their way into the mountains of North Georgia built a new cabin. Two years have passed. Francis Asbury in conference says, I've heard they've opened up the mountains of North Georgia. Is there a preacher that'll go to the mountains of North Georgia? A man volunteered. He got on his horse. He makes his way down across the Carolinas into North Georgia. He finds this very cabin. He knocks on the door. This same man opens the door he identifies himself as a Methodist preacher. He invites him in and the story continues. He shares the gospel and the daughter in that home where God had already been at work was wonderfully converted. After the preacher left the next day, the man said, I thought we could go so far into the wilderness that no one could find us. I was wrong. He said, but I was down at the trading post. I've heard they've cleared the Creek Indians out of Western Alabama territory. He said, we're going to load up and move to Western Alabama. This is true. 
They loaded up the wagon and they made their way across what would now be the Birmingham area, down through Tuscaloosa, over to the Tom Bigby River, not far from where I was born and grew up. When they hit the Tom Bigby River, they went south. While all of this was happening, conference was being held in Baltimore, and Francis Asbury said, I've heard they've opened up the Alabama Territory. Would anybody be willing to go west? A man by the name of Richmond Nolly volunteered to go. He rode out of Baltimore, down through the Carolinas, across the tip of North Georgia, down through what would now be the Birmingham Valley area. He hit the Tom Bigby River and he turned south. He started following a set of wagon tracks that he found. Day after day, he followed those tracks. About the third day he'd been following them, as the sun was setting in western Alabama, he saw in the distance a wagon. It had been unhitched from the team and a campfire and a large man was standing over that campfire. He said, I nudged my horse and we began to gallop moving in that direction on the plains of western Alabama. He said, I saw the man reach to pick up a rifle. He had no idea who was coming. And he said, I stopped my horse. I reached in the saddlebags, pulled out my Bible, and then I moved forward waving my Bible saying, don't shoot. Don't shoot. I'm a Methodist preacher. He said, as I rode into the camp, he said, the man stood there dazed. He said he could hardly speak. He finally laid his rifle down. I got off my horse. I walked over. I said, sir, there seems to be something wrong with you. He said, yes, sir, there is. And he told the story. He said, I had a beautiful cabin in Virginia and you people came and you found us. You preached this message and you converted my wife. He said, we moved to North Georgia thinking I'd never see another Methodist preacher. And he said, you found me there. You preached your gospel and you converted my daughter. He said, I was determined to go so far west that none of you people could find me. And he said, before I can even get out of a wagon and build a home, here you are. He says, it's obvious to me that God is interested in me. God is interested in my soul. He said, so if you will tell me what you told my wife and daughter, I too will become a follower of Jesus Christ. Students, I want to tell you something. God is on your trail. God is pursuing you. God's spirit is moving. I've already heard how he's working on campus this year, but he's moving. He's working. He's initiating. He is always previous. But the second thing, God's word always comes home. Jeremiah said, God said to Jeremiah, I will cause you to hear my word. Renewal, change, transformation always takes place in the context and through the power of the word of God. But sometimes we have to reposition ourselves to hear the word. We're so preoccupied with what we're doing, we have to step back a little bit and reposition ourselves to hear what God has to say to us. Jeremiah did in this case. Working with students in a college for 22 years, often a student would come by my office and say, you know, I don't think, I don't think God's calling me to ministry. I don't think God wants me to do this. I think God wants me to do that. They'd gotten distracted. And my standard challenge to them was, well, the weekend's coming. I want you to do this. I want you to take the entire weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday if possible, if not okay. But I want you to take your Bible. I want you to take your favorite devotional and take your music. 
And I want you to find one of the large parks here in Cincinnati, and I want you to get alone in solitude, away from everybody else. And I want you just simply to soak in the Word, to soak in worship, and to say, God, I want you to speak to me and bring clarity to my heart. And over and over and over again, students would come back to me and say, President Avery, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know why, I don't know what was happening to me. Somehow I'd gotten distracted, I'd, I'd gotten off the path. God wants me to sit tight. God wants me to pursue what He's been calling me to do. Sometimes we have to reposition ourselves. Sometimes you have to step out of the, off the football world or out of the basketball world or out of esports or whatever it is you're in and gets in solitude. I often say that the Holy Spirit's like a wild animal. You get quiet, He'll show up and He has something to say. And He'll bring God's Word to our heart. We have to reposition ourselves to hear the Word. And when we do that, the Word holds up a mirror in front of us and we can see ourselves, but we also have to be obedient, willing to be obedient to whatever the Word says. The third step is God's holiness begins to come through. God is a holy God. He wants a holy people. The story here, the vessel was marred. And the potter had to deal with the problem in the clay remove that and reshape the vessel as it needed to be reshaped. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means when we're in this process of a new beginning, when God begins to work in our lives, He's clearly going to put His finger on something that may not should be there. And that requires a willingness to recognize it on our part. But it also requires a, willing for, a willingness for us to acknowledge it on our part. You know, we don't hear the word confession much anymore. It's not a very popular word, but sometimes, sometimes it invokes this uh, idea that, you know, I've got I've to publicly humiliate myself or I've got to publicly enumerate some of my sins. Well, the word confession means nothing more or less than just I agree with God that I am what He says I am. That's what confession is. It's acknowledging that I am what you say that I am. And I've watched this work over and over and over and over and over again. Not with grandmas and grandpas, I mean with college students over and over and over again. I've watched as Students walking by on campus with a very, very clouded disposition. You can tell there's something wrong just by looking at their countenance. Their countenance is marred. They're under a cloud. There's something troubling them. And at many times it just simply means somebody needs to come clean. And I want to drill on this point just a little this morning. This whole idea of coming clean before God. I wouldn't tell you this story, but Max Licato wrote it himself in Christianity Today, so it's out in public. Max Licato, the very famous author and Christian pastor, told about being raised in a home with, surrounded by alcoholics. And he said, during college, he said, I gave up drinking when I went into seminary. And he said, I never touched the stuff again. 
He said, I've been pastoring the church there in Texas for a number of years. And he said, it was a hot, hot Texas afternoon, about a hundred degrees. And he said, I'd been out, I'd made a call and I was on my way back to the church and I passed a little 7-Eleven store. And he said, there on the front of the window, the plate glass, he said, there was this huge advertisement for some type of beer. And there was ice and there was a glass and it was refreshing. And he said, I can't even explain it to you, but something in my heart just reached out for that. He said, I pulled in, went inside, and I bought a can of beer. He said, I kept it in a little brown bag, and I went out in my car, and I would sip and do this, look around. He said, I finished it up, threw it in the trash, drove away, and he said, I felt horrible. He said, I told God I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. I'm sorry. He said, the very next week, I did the same thing. He said, the next week I did it twice. And he said, and on that next week, when I did it twice, he said, God, the Holy Spirit really dealt with me. And he said, now, if you really want to get over this, if you want to break this sin in your life, here's what you're going to do. He said, you're going to go back to the church. You're going to call the entire board of elders. And he said, you're going to confess to them what you've done. I said, God, does it have to be that way? He said, yep. Max Licato said, I went to my board of elders, called them all in a special meeting, told them exactly what I did. I humbled myself in front of them. He said, the chairman of the board of elders walked over behind the chair where I was sitting. He laid his hands on my shoulders and he said, Max, we are deeply disappointed in you. You should not have done this, but we forgive you. And they had prayer for him. The following Wednesday evening at his church, when they came in for a Wednesday evening service, he said, I got up in front of the entire congregation and I told them what I'd done. And the church gathered around and prayed for me. Confessors have a freedom, deniers do not. We have a very successful pastor. It's one of the alumni from my college. He, he, did, he had a music degree. He never even planned to pastor. And somewhere along the way, God called him. He was traveling with a, a music group out west and God called him to preach. And he took a church in Idaho. Very successful. And he said, I went into that church and he said, I began to get down before the Lord and I began to talk to my board about what do we need to do to really grow? And he said, my board and I began to have prayer times together. And he said, God began to speak to us about sin in our life. And he said, God spoke to me. And the reason I know this is I got a phone call. One day, one morning in my office, I got a call from this young man and and he said, President Avery, he said, I've got something very humbling I've got to confess. This was a great kid. I love this guy. I said, what are you talking about? He said, when I was at the college, as you know, I traveled in one of your groups, one of your quartet groups. We traveled all around the country. We sang in hundreds of churches and Bible camps and retreats and in youth camps and 
we were on the platform. We were testifying. We were sort of the, you know, we were the five-star Christians on campus. He said, what you need to know is during that time, my girlfriend and I were having sex on a regular basis. And he said, I was just a phony and I'm sorry. He humbled himself. He came clean. He said his board started coming clean. Today, if you want to go to that church, they're running, they, they were running about 85 at that point. They're running about 1,300 now. Some time ago, I said to him, I said, what in the world is the secret to this success? He said, we've never had any planned outreaches, any sort of initiative. He said, he looked at me. He said, you, you remember the phone call I made to you? I said, yes. He said, when I got clean with God, when my board got clean with God, God could start trusting us with people. And he just started sending them in through the door. Confessors have a freedom. Deniers do not. I had a kid on campus one time, he, he was in serious trouble, talented guy, bad attitude, streak of rebellion. And I was praying in my prayer time for him and God spoke to me in prayer time. He said, here's this guy's problem. I called him in my office the next day and I said, Andy, I said, uh, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing great. I said, how you doing spiritually? No problems, things are good. I said, that's interesting. I've noticed some changes in you. And in prayer yesterday, as I was praying specifically for you, God spoke to me about you. Oh, and I said, yeah. I said, do you want to tell me? Or do you want me to tell you what's going on? And he got silent. And I said, here's, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. He looked at me and he said, it's not true. You're wrong. Obstinate. He walked out of there, walked out of school, took a church. Six years later, he's been bumping his head trying to do ministry for six years. No good. I happened to be in the area speaking at a ministerial conference. He said, could I take you out to lunch? I said, sure. We went out to lunch and boy, he had, he said, Brother Avery, he said, you remember when you brought me into your office and said, here's what your trouble is? And I said, no, you're wrong. I said, I sure do. He said, well, you were right. And I've kept it covered all of these years. He said, but I'm coming clean. And that has made all the difference in this guy's ministry. I'm looking in the face of some kids. You're engaged in secret sin. But what you don't know is there is no such thing as secret sin. No sin is secret. God knows and God sees. Some of you are engaged in porn up to your ears. Some of you aren't using the prayer tower for prayer. You're using it to have sex with your girlfriend. 
Let me tell you something very bluntly. That kind of behavior is sub-Christian. Amen? Come on. That kind of behavior is sub-Christian. And you're not going to get anywhere. But the good news, confessors have a freedom. Deniers do not. You don't have to come tell me about it. What you have to do is get it clear with God. And the authorities that you have abused and lied to, if there's trust that's been broken, you've betrayed that trust, you need to clear that up. Confessors have a freedom, deniers do not. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to draw close to God, if you really want to have a spiritual life, if you really want to have a new beginning, when you start drawing close to God, God's a God of holiness. It's like fire. It's like the sun. When you start moving close to Him, junk that shouldn't be there starts getting lit up. If you draw close enough, it gets burned up. It's got to go. God's war holiness, God's holiness comes through. And He's going to talk to you about some stuff and some junk in your life that you need to get rid of. But the last thing, when God's spirit draws near, God's word comes home, God's holiness starts coming through, God's people come alive or his power brings renewal. I know what I'm talking about personally. I've had times of new beginnings in my own life. I've watched it work its way out in the lives of students over and over and over again. A time of new beginning, getting clear with God, getting a fresh start, moving in the way you need to go. You're at the beginning of a new school year, spiritual life week. I'm here on campus for three days. In the morning, I'm going to be in the coffee shop. I'll be there at 9.30, and I'm there just for you. And they gave me this card that's got 100 bucks on it. So that's a lot of coffee, and I'll buy you coffee. And I'm there for you to talk to. And some of you are desperately needing somebody to come clean with. I'll be there. But I want you to stand very quickly. Just before you go, it's time to go. I want you to stand. I want you to just bow your heads, please, just, just before we go. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Please, nobody, I don't want anybody, anybody here looking around. Nobody. Nobody. Just, just every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. In a spirit of prayer. I have a little simple question, then we're going to turn it back, turn it over to Pastor Dan. How many here this morning, God the Holy Spirit spoke to you in your heart and said, I see the hands already going up. They're going up everywhere. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see that. Well, we're going to do some, we're going to, we're going to soak a little bit this week. 
Continue to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Talk to you about some things going on in your world. Remember, God delights in a new beginning. This can be a new beginning for you, a fresh start for you. But there's a way to make that happen. And God's not going to cut corners or compromise with you. Let's come clean. Let's face up to His holiness. Let's embrace a new start. Father, we thank you so much for these young men and women. The potential in their life is, lives, it's unreal. What you have and the, the gifts, the talents. And we know that there is a spiritual foe that would love to sidetrack them and get them off course. Lord, I'm praying for this school, this school year, to raise up spiritually minded men and women in this camp, on this campus who are bold with their faith, who will lead with their lives, who will embrace the holiness of God and who will live out a life that's exemplary and holy before God and others. Lord, talk to us through these days. Talk to us today, throughout the day. Talk to us again in chapel tomorrow. Talk to us. We're listening. We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.